welcome to Invested in Climate. Protecting the planet and decarbonizing the global economy is the challenge of our time. We all have a role to play, and the opportunity we face is unprecedented. Invested in Climate aims to help people do more to address climate change through their work, investments, lifestyle, and activism. I'm your host, Jason Rissman. I support a growing community of top climate and ESG leaders as the Chief Experience Officer at Nations Wealth, and I'm an advisor to the climate practice at IDEO. I'm also an investor and startup advisor, and when it comes to climate action, I know I'll be a lifelong learner, always looking to have more impact. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you found us. Sign up for updates and suggest ideas for future episodes at investedinclimate.com. Follow us on social, subscribe, and spread the word. Thanks for joining. We really have our sights set on scaling this fleet, our fleets to tens of thousands of vehicles by 2025. Again, our goal here is to scale to gigaton carbon emissions. And the reason for that is really we have a climate mission and we need to get there fast. And we believe that the technology is what can us scale very quickly. Hey, everyone. As you know, the EV revolution is well underway, and we're clearly in the midst of a massive transition away from gas-powered cars. Consumers are opting for EVs not only to end their costly dependence on fossil fuels, but also because electric vehicles are often just better cars. For fleet managers, the calculus is different and more challenging. Switching to EVs requires not just an upfront investment, but also operational changes to dealing with charging. This is an important problem to solve given the vast number of intensively used fleet-owned vehicles on the road. To explore this issue, we're joined today by Tenny Toyer, co-founder and chief product officer of Spring Free EV, a startup that provides EVs as a service to fleet managers across the U.S., as well as one of her investors, Rob Day, partner and co-founder at Spring Lane Capital. Don't be confused by the names of Spring Free EV and Spring Lane. They're two separate companies, but they are united by their shared excitement for the enormous opportunity to electrify vehicle fleets. We talk about the size of that opportunity, Spring Free's products and traction, how EVs can transform fleets from depreciating assets into revenue opportunities, and much more. So buckle up, sorry, had to go there, and enjoy. Tenny and Rob. Welcome to Invest in Climate. So great to have you here today. Thanks for having us. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having us both. Yeah, excited for this conversation. Where are you each dialing in from? So I'm dialing in from the Bay Area, Silicon Valley in California. Oh, fantastic. Not too far from me. I'm in the East Bay. Rob, I think you said you're in Boston. Yeah, that's right, where it's actually for once sunny today. Great. And have you two met before? I believe you have. Yeah, of course, Definitely. You go way back. Great. Well, very excited for this conversation. We're here to talk about the electric vehicle landscape, and you both have expertise in this in different ways, and so excited to pick your brains. Tenny, kick us off. I'd love for you just to start by telling us how you see the market and the need that spring-free EV is filling. Sure. So I see the EV market growing rapidly, becoming increasingly more competitive. There's a new range of players entering the space. We see EVs as a potential solution to climate impact uh, and an important factor in decarbonizing the transportation sector. So 
The market today still faces some high challenges, including upfront purchase price, which remains the number one barrier to EV adoption today, followed by battery range anxiety and charging concerns. Also today, the existing grid infrastructure is not fully equipped to support large-scale deployments of EVs. So our goal at Spring Free EV is to accelerate the EV adoption by filling the market really in three ways. So first, we have created a unique pay-per-mile financing lease product offering, which significantly reduces that upfront cost of EVs. Today, we are targeting fleet managers with high mileage utilization of their vehicles, and thus those vehicles generate typically, obviously, greater carbon avoidance than vehicles that are not driven as much. Second, we connect capital providers or investors with fleet managers looking to convert their fleets to EVs. And we have designed some innovative capital and financing structures that take advantage of tax incentives and also generate profit and returns on those cash flows from the lease. And then finally, third, we are embarking on some scalable technology and building out a platform to deploy tens of thousands of EVs over the next few years. And so these vehicles that are deployed as part of this platform are not only expected to generate millions of tons of CO2 savings over the next 15 years, but also leverage the telematics and the connected EVs with the hope to contribute to grid stability and future support of renewable energy resources through the concept of a virtual power plant. Fantastic. There's so much though that I'm going to want to dive into and really get into the nitty gritty of how it works. But first, let's zoom out because I think many of our listeners probably don't know that much about commercial fleets. And so I'd love just to understand more about it, particularly the size of the market, what kinds of companies have fleets, how fleets driving habits might be different than consumers, and really, why is this the market that you're focused on? Commercial fleets, they really refer to just the group of vehicles that are owned or leased by businesses or organization companies for different purposes, delivery, transportation, services. And the size of the commercial fleet market is substantial. It includes fleets ranging from small businesses with just a few vehicles to really large corporations or companies with thousands of vehicles. Companies are really across a lot of industries like logistics, transportation, rental service, real estate, and then last mile delivery often have fleets as well. And so the fleet driving habits differ from individual consumers as fleets in commercial often accumulate higher mileage due to their business operations, and they might require different financing options and leverage more technology through telematics that are really tailored to their specific needs. So we've been operating for almost two years now, and we've found that different fleet companies, commercial fleet companies also have really different goals and pain points. So for example, some rental services, they really want to maintain a diverse fleet of really high-end models and really flexible booking options, mostly to cater to their variety of customer needs. But then others want reliable, affordable vehicles because their customers might mainly be gig economy workers. In addition to the vehicles, they also want to offer resources, educational resources to their renters so that it's really about maximizing income in the gig economy. So for us, that really just means listening really carefully to our customers, figuring out how we can help and partner so that our fleet managers are not only sustaining the vehicles that they have and transitioning either their gas-powered cars over to EVs, but also help them grow. And give us a sense of the scale. How many companies have fleets and how many cars are there on the road that are owned by fleets? It's in the tens of thousands for fleet managers. The ones that we are targeting right now, small, medium-sized businesses, 
and millions in the tens of millions of cars that are on the road today. Great. Thank you, Tenny. Rob, let's bring you in here. As an investor, how do you see the market that Tenny's describing? Well, first of all, as an investor, it's hard to ignore the electric vehicle revolution that's underway, right? It's very clear when you look at how the entire auto OEM market is shifting to electric that this is a major megatrend that's going to be years and years ahead in the making. And yet, while increasingly you see electric vehicles on the road, particularly for some parts of that market, you just haven't seen the penetration yet, right? So there's lots of room to run in terms of electrifying vehicles. But then as an investor, you really got to think about it in terms of not just the vehicles themselves, but also all of the various parts required to make the whole system work. And while I'm not fully a venture investor these days at Spring Lane, I spent most of the formative years of my investing career as a venture investor. And I know that one of the things you really look for as a venture investor quite often is who can take a big slice of a market, right? So first and foremost, huge market, huge opportunity overall. But for parts of it, you're definitely going to not see winner take all, right? So if you think about like all the different vehicle makes and models and the like that are going to be required out there, I think if you think about like consumer vehicles and sedans, you can start to see a few key winners. But then when you think about all the different types of vehicles you see on the road every day, that's a lot more than just a few makes and models of sedans, right? Especially as you get into the commercial vehicles types that Tenny was talking about. So I think there you're going to see a proliferation of completely different approaches to what a vehicles look like. But one thing they all have in common is they're all going to need to get charged. One of the things, though, that's going to be challenging from a CNI perspective, from a commercial and industrial perspective, is those charging situations also won't be winner take all. If you're thinking about how do I charge an 18-wheeler, how do I charge a flower delivery van, how do I charge my personal vehicle, those are all completely different use cases, completely different charging needs, some of them much more tied to specific real estate than others. Whereas the one thing that I think is fairly constant across all of those is what Tony was saying. The vehicles are more expensive up front. And so trying to figure out the financial side of all of this, the economic side of all of this, is going to be a consistent refrain not only across all of the electric vehicles fleet, but particularly among commercial vehicles. So Tony gave a sense of the magnitude of the CNI market in terms of the number of cars that are out there, tens of thousands. I saw a number of 200,000 CNI fleets in the US recently. One of the things, though, that's interesting in that is all of these different fleets, all of these different approaches, they just simply are going to have a very hard time getting fully electrified within a short amount of time because the latest figure I also saw was out of those tens of millions of cars that are out there on the road within CNI fleets, only about 40,000 of them became electric last year. Whereas we're used to seeing consumer vehicles out there now, the sedan, the Tesla, Chevy Bolts, increasing proliferation of those kind, the CNI fleet is just largely untapped. And so that's one of the reasons it also looks like a really exciting opportunity to investors. Is there something that you think is particularly holding back those CNI fleets? Is it the lack of vehicles or financing, perhaps? I think it's because of what I was saying before about the complexity of it and also just the higher duty needs of that market, right? So longer distances, you tend to really need your delivery van to be able to do a full route every day. You really need to be able to have the specific vehicle that is suited for that particular application. In many cases, you have fleets that are tied to a particular lot already, the parking lot, basically, and service lot for some of these fleets. And yet that might not be where it's very easy to put in chargers. 
right? So it's all of the complications that Tenny was talking about a few minutes ago, times a multiple in terms of the complexity. Thanks, Rob. Tenny, I'd love to learn more about the financial product that Springfree EV has designed for fleet owners. And I've read that you're able to cut the cost of EV ownership in half for commercial fleet owners. Is that right? And how are you able to do that? That's correct. So we've designed a, it's really a usage-based or pay-per-mile financial product that significantly reduces that upfront cost. It's really that upfront cost that we are associating as the major barrier to adoption of EVs for commercial fleet managers and how do we make those EVs more accessible. And so we offer multiple short-term lease option and that approach encourages more businesses to consider EVs as a potentially viable option for them. We can build customers on a pay-per-mile basis because we're maintaining several, they're called over-the-air OTA integrations with multiple EV makes and models. And so by integrating directly with the embedded connectivity of these vehicles, we can read critical telemetry, including the odometers and location, but we can also write vehicle commands like start, schedule, charging. And so these connected car capabilities open up just really new revenue streams including remote fleet management, again, potentially eventually virtual power plants, and even before virtual power plants or vehicle-to-grid capabilities, we can do time of use, scheduled charging, really just smart and managed charging by communicating directly with the vehicle. And so that asset management by monitoring or sending alerts really help to manage risk. Also, we take a really alternative approach to EV underwriting. So Traditional lenders may only look at counterparty, but we also take in factors like vehicle performance, which allows us to cater to specifically high mileage vehicles. And so this per mile financing structure is really what unlocks and aligns that cost structure with the expected earnings of a potential fleet manager, which really then encourages and enhances the affordability. We're also building out ways to predict depreciation and battery health degradation more accurately. The way we're doing this or our approach is really to evaluate multiple fleet managers in different markets and different geographies with different weather and seasonality patterns. And so this enables us to recommend specific EVs and trims that might perform well or better in a particular market and potentially depreciate less. Over time, our goal is to build a robust data set of these highly utilized vehicles across geographies and to Rob's point earlier, different charging profiles and build out these different charging profiles so that ultimately our platform can be seen through the financial model by taking different ways of leveraging software to scale and provide accurate billing and, again, the real-time fleet management and remote controls, which is really intended to reduce both the costs and increase profit margins for a fleet manager so that they can continue to grow. Well, let's go deeper into that, particularly around improving the profit margins. And one of the things that we've learned on the consumer adoption and the, really the rapid growth of consumer adoption of EVs is that it's not just about it being a car that's better for the environment, but that it's often, increasingly, a better car that just happens to be electric. And I'm really curious, as you are learning about the adoption of EVs for fleet managers, are EVs the better car for them? And I think it's a holistic picture of not just the driving experience, but seemingly the entire business case. I'm really curious about how EVs may or may not be yet ready to sort of take that title as the better car. It's a great reflection on 
some of the operations of our fleet managers. So I think early on, it's really important for fleet managers to look holistically at the EVs and their business and how to operate them, how to rent them out, how to really treat them a little bit different from your typical gas-powered or ICE vehicles, partially because of the charging needs of the vehicles, but really mostly because, again, it doesn't require the fuel, there's lower cost of maintenance, and all of these different factors are taken into consideration for a fleet manager's. The most successful fleet managers take those into account. We've heard stories with our fleet managers providing a charge card, for example, inside the glove compartment, or ensuring that there is a phone number to call. There are services out there that will give you a, think of AAA coming in to give you five gallons of gas. There are services out there that will give you a little boost of charge so that you can get to the next charging station. That type of customer service really allows renters to ease any potential anxiety about renting it in the first place or using it in the first place, and then also being able to bring the car back and make, making sure that they're fully charged. Some will even optimize and ask renters ahead of time, where do you intend to go? How long do you intend to drive for to really match the vehicle range together with the intention and use cases for those vehicles? I think where it translates over to the consumer uh, side as well is Especially, again, when you're thinking about everyday driving, what are your typical needs? You're really staying typically within a certain radius. Being able to plan those charges, being able to find whether it is at work, at home, in between the public charging stations, and it just takes a little bit more planning. Vehicles themselves are typically seen as a depreciating asset. And what we are finding is that EVs themselves can be a revenue-generating asset particularly as we are transitioning right now and more and more fleet managers, commercial fleet managers, as well as consumers are adopting those. In the further out future, you know, utilities are paying for, again, shaving off peak charging times and being able to charge at certain times and also eventually being able to push the energy back into the grid and paying for those services. Rob, let's bring you back in here. Thank you, Tenny. Rob, Spring Free EV is far from being the only EV financing company today. It's really a hot market with many other companies offering financial products and services to accelerate EV adoption. So I'm curious, how does Spring Free stand out in your eyes? I'll push back a little bit on the premise of it in that, and I'll sort of go to answering your question as well, in that I don't see too many pure play financing platforms out there for EVs yet. There are a couple, but Spring Free is really in a leadership position from that perspective, from what we can see. There are a number of platforms out there that are looking to help electrify commercial and industrial vehicle fleets, but quite often they're dealing more with the more heavy-duty types of vehicles, and they're going to a particular fleet manager and saying, hey, you've got some particular needs, and it's going to be really challenging you to figure out the vehicles, the financing, and the charging. So we'll just try to be an easy button for you. We'll take all of that headache off of your hands and we'll tackle that. What you pretty quickly see, though, is those companies become charging installers, right? The financing may not be particular to that fleet, but certainly the vehicles end up being that. I've seen, for instance, like shuttle bus fleet managers, like I described before, like 18-wheelers, whether it's for drayage or for long haul. And there are some pretty interesting companies trying to tackle a lot of that. But in many cases, they end up having to go to one of those fleets and saying, okay, great. Well, you're going to really need to have to figure out, though, how your 18-wheelers are going to charge. So let's go to your distribution center, and we'll also install 
fast chargers at that distribution center. And all of a sudden, you're much more of a project manager around installing chargers rather than being a financing platform. So that's why I said I don't see too many pure plays in that. And that is perhaps the biggest differentiator. But another huge differentiator for us, as you can hear, just listening to Tenny as the team. This is a team that was purposely built out of leaders in the tech space, out of the financial world, really got to understand financing and structures and legal structures to make this work. So that's real specialized knowledge and who come out of the automotive services industry as well. Again, very specialized knowledge. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you're talking about being able to do asset management on a lot of vehicles out there and have to build a technology platform that's going to be able to scale with that. If you just think about the complexities of of what Tenney's pulled together, and what we really liked about them is that they'd already gone through that. When we found Spring Free, they already had momentum around being able to build out a collection of fleet managers who were already driving vehicles on the road. A lot of the folks that are out there who have announced, hey, we're a EV financing platform. If you look at the number of vehicles, it's well under 100. And we've already ourselves financed over a hundred of spring freeze <laughs> fleet vehicles out there. And that was after coming along after they'd already done a couple of years worth of building up the business itself and getting vehicles out there. So it's the momentum around it. It's the specialized know-how. And the last thing I'll say is just the sheer pragmatism of how they're doing it. It's very audacious, the goals that they're going after and very audacious, the scope of what they can tackle within the EV space over time. But rather than get sucked into specialized vehicles and, and new models and trying to figure all of that out, they found that there are a lot of the CNI fleets out there that are just driving sedans, right? That are driving essentially the consumer vehicles that are already very familiar and for which there are lots of charging options. I mean, you heard that in, in Tenny's previous answer. Finding those types of fleet managers and helping service their needs first is one of the major reasons why Spring Free has been able to ramp up their volumes so quickly. Let's go deeper into those short-term goals. And Rob, now that they have a product that's seemingly about execution for Tenny and her team, what do you see as the most important milestones that Spring Free EV should be pursuing right now? I mean, there's going to be some obvious ones around volumes. We think about the three C's for this company being cars, customers, and capital. And as a financial platform, they're obviously bringing together all of those three at once. Really think of them as being like a marketplace for bringing those three together and matchmaking. We have specific volume goals attached to all of them that are pretty aggressive. For instance, measure in the thousands, as Tenny said, of vehicles over a fairly short amount of time. And we're starting to see those volumes come together pretty nicely here, even since just formalizing our investment with the company earlier this year. Just some really great commercial progress in that score. But as an investor, too, what I would say is we look at things as well in terms of operating metrics and making them very predictable and replicable. I think a major milestone for the company will be, as they're seeing this strong growth, getting to where on each of those three C's, you also see, like I said, very predictable metrics where you understand, okay, if I put money into marketing to go find fleet managers, and I put in this dollars, and and I know I'm going to go through this process, I'm going to get this many leads, and they're going to convert at this level. And similar on the capital side, similar on on the vehicle side, even in terms of thinking about the operations around the vehicles and, and the asset management, like I said, predictability, is when you start to really realize, okay, this company is ready to blow the doors off, if you forget the obvious pun. Thanks, Rob. Tenny, cars, customers, capital, how's it going? We love the three Cs. That really helps frame us. We've been talking about it more in terms of capital, demand, and vehicles. But it really is, it is the three Cs. And our progress, I think, is quite promising. 
Obviously, we secured our funding, which consists of both the debt facility to purchase vehicles, as well as the Series A equity investment, this investment, which, of course, was led by Rob, which we have found to be just a great partner in working with us and helping us both really think through our operations, think through key critical needs, as well as helping us get our message out. And so generally, we are seeing EVs have a strong surge in demand in the market. And as Rob mentioned, we've already deployed hundreds of EVs. We've already worked with hundreds of fleet managers. And our plan is to double that figure to thousands of vehicles within this coming year. And looking ahead, though, we really have our sights set on scaling this fleet, our fleets to tens of thousands of vehicles by 2025. Again, our goal here is to scale to gigaton carbon emissions. And the reason for that is really we have a climate mission and we need to get there fast. And we believe that the technology is what can us scale very quickly. We're currently in more than 20 different geolocations across eight states. Some of the more obvious ones, California, Texas, Florida, we're in Georgia, New Jersey, Arizona, Illinois, and Colorado. We're also assessing potential new markets for future expansion. One of our advantages really lies in dispersing our fleets across multiple locations. We believe that this approach enables us to avoid the need for this, again, extensive grid and charging infrastructure support, which can be really time-consuming and costly, especially to start and initially to start there. Again, unlike some of the larger rental car companies, they often have to concentrate their EVs in a limited number of locations. Our widespread distributions just really allows for that greater efficiency and greater flexibility over the long term. Love that you have a gigaton goal. That's really exciting. What will it take you to get there, both in terms of the number of cars as well as the changes or developments in the market? Yeah, that definitely will require both a platform, building out this platform that not only we are using, but others are leveraging as well. And that is the gigaton is really what gets us to hundreds of millions of EVs out there on the road. And let's talk longer term. Your company is focused on accelerating EV adoption through improving the financing options companies face. But at a production level, EVs are steadily replacing internal combustion cars with more makes and models launching every year. How will your role change as EVs become the, well, ultimately the only choice for fleet owners? I think as EVs become the dominant choice or the only choice, we have an opportunity to become a comprehensive solution where we're addressing the specific needs of fleet management in the EV industry. Our, again, financial product offering, I know we will continue to improve, we'll continue to expand to different solutions for fleet owners as they acquire and manage their EV fleets. This might include flexible lease structures, some of the structuring that Rob spoke to earlier customized financing plans, partnerships, potentially partnerships with financial institutions that could provide competitive rates and simplify the financing process. For our EV financing programs, we really, again, consider all these different factories, such as the battery health, software updates, charging infrastructure, in addition to traditional underwriting criteria like credit score, business income. This comprehensive approach is really what ensures a better understanding of both the opportunities, the potential revenue streams, and the unique risks that are associated with EV financing. And that will allow us to offer these tailored and customized solutions. I also think that as EVs become the only choice, our role will also be to build and look at different tools specifically for EVs. And that will be built 
over time. And we are already embarking on that today. Features such as range optimization, charging schedule, battery health monitoring, predictive maintenance. These capabilities can really help fleet owners or even consumers maximize the efficiency and minimize downtime really to optimize the overall performance of an EV. I think the other piece of it is as more EVs come out, more makes, more models become available, we envision our platform to be able to update our offerings and include a wide range of these types of EVs so that fleet managers or fleet owners can explore and choose or maybe even try before they buy from a diverse selection based on their specific requirements. And then eventually charging will be important. And our platform may end up collaborating with different charging networks so that we can provide integrated financing solutions that includes charging or includes insurance or includes maintenance. And so it really is about what is the value add of a entire ecosystem and how do we integrate the different tools, the different services that they may already be using or enhancing those services to Again, access, whether it's the real-time charging data or locate nearby charging stations, or really just, again, managing their charging needs really seamlessly for their business. Thanks, Tony. Clearly, many roles that you can play and really highlights both the complexity of the ecosystem as well as the need for cohesive players like your company. Rob, you've been in the space for a long time. I'd love to hear your perspective on how this market is developing. And if you don't mind taking a quick step back, first, tell us about how and when you got involved in climate investing and how you see this market evolving, especially given the historical context that you have. Yeah, and you're right. I've been involved in the market as an investor now for an increasingly embarrassingly long amount of time. <laughs> I basically started out my career at an environmental economics think tank. I tell people all the time I'm a climate guy who found himself in an investing role, not the other way around. My job at the environmental economics think tank, which was the World Resources Institute, it's still a great institution. Everybody should check out their work. But my job was to go out there and actually not be an economist, but to instead work directly with large companies, helping them figure out how they could make more money by viewing the world through an environmental sustainability lens. Essentially getting paid in case studies to then propagate out throughout the rest of the industry, try to get more companies to do the same thing. I came away convinced of a few things. First of all, I was surrounded by very smart economists and could see a lot of these cost curves and the like coming down. I was also surrounded by a lot of folks who were tracking data on climate and other environmental issues. And so you could see just the looming need for massive economic transition. And then in my work with big companies, I came away feeling like, hey, the profit motive is real, is going to drive a lot of this. You've got to get the business world on sides. And there I was at a nonprofit. So I uh, decided to go off to business school to figure out how to become a clean energy entrepreneur. Came out of business school at a spectacularly bad time to be an entrepreneur of any stripe. So did a little stint in management consulting before then leaving that to go figure out how to join a clean energy startup. And I figured a good place to figure out which startup to join would be to do some consulting work for a small venture capital firm focused on the sector because then I would see lots of companies, right? And that actually turned into an actual full-time role as a venture investor. So along the years, I've done early stage, growth stage, project capital, and deployment capital. Well over a decade ago now, I started working with my two partners at Spring Lane, actually within a single family office. And then a few years back, we spun ourselves out to form Spring Lane Capital, and now we're on our second fund. So how do I think the market's doing overall throughout that entire story arc? It's been amazing to watch the ups and downs. So if you think through all of that story arc, I got to see the 
the so-called clean tech bubble in the mid-2000s, which if you look at the data is now just being completely dwarfed by the capital that's coming into the sector, which is awesome to see. But I also get to see the 2010s when this was a completely out-of-sector favor. I, you and I were joking before the show that while I've seen some successes as an investor, I think my biggest success as an investor is simply still being an investor after all of that. So it's just really, really encouraging now to see. I mean, for a long time, you're kind of going against the headwinds, public sentiment, and in many cases, economics. But now, as you can hear, like electric vehicles, is just a great example. You were talking about it yourself with your questions. Now, the value proposition of these clean technologies, electric vehicles, renewable energy, getting into a lot of these other areas as well, it's just very, very clear. I think everybody can see it now. And so not only are the markets taking off, but also just to see the sheer commitment of investment dollars coming in is just really exciting to see. And Rob, your firm, Spring Lane Capital, it's not a typical venture investor, but rather a private equity firm that focuses on offering hybrid project capital. Tell us more about Spring Lane's unique approach and why you think it's needed for climate companies today. Yeah, so like I said, we were, me and my partners were at a single family office where we were able to do a number of different types of investments. We also helped form an entire group of like-minded family offices where we were all sharing stories with each other. It's a group now called the Creo Syndicate. I encourage everybody to, to check it out. It's really grown and is a great group of folks. We're not officially members anymore, of course, because we're not a family office, but we still get to hang around a bit. And in doing our own work and seeing as investors and seeing what everybody else was doing, we kept seeing again and again a recurring theme. A lot of the solutions were increasingly ready for prime time. They were increasingly small and distributed. I mean, Tenny was talking before about over the era and information and telematics. Well, you can extrapolate that to other forms of IT automation, telecommunication. So now you can run a fleet of, say, distributed wastewater treatment systems from a single headquarters, which you couldn't do before. What that meant was there was a major capital gap in the early going of deploying these solutions. So you would get a CEO come back to us, say, I just sold a $20 million wastewater treatment system to pick on that same example. Like, great, that's awesome. What is that, number two or number three? Yeah, that's right, that's right. But it took a bunch of months, but finally got got a second one sold. Great, so what's next? Well, now I need $20 million because these things aren't really intended to be funded by venture capital, which is intended to be much more of a sort of headquarters activity than putting steel in the ground or steel on wheels out there somewhere. There's a real mismatch because traditional project finance can't go that small and doesn't want to go that early. What a venture capitalist thinks is successfully commercialized is light years away from what a traditional infrastructure investor thinks is ready for them. There was this gap in the first two to three years with the deployment, particularly for these smaller scale, basically sub-utility scale assets. And we and others cut our teeth on solving that in the solar space. Some years back, we were on the forefront of doing that with Resi Solar and with Community Solar. And we learned a recipe and we learned that our team ourselves were well suited for being able to play that role of being that first two to three years worth of institutional deployment capital. And that's what we do. So you mentioned our hybrid capital approach. It's really one foot in growth equity and one foot in project finance in that we find the companies like a spring free that already have early momentum and that with our capital and, and with what help that we can provide rolling up our sleeves and trying to be as helpful in value creation as we can and, and really honing their own institutional grade project delivery and asset management. Then what we found in the solar space, and we've now seen it through our activities in Springland Capital, is if we can do that and provide all of that, the capital and the services and the help for those first two to three years worth for a platform, 
then there's billions upon billions of dollars of capital waiting on Wall Street and elsewhere that is eager to be given that permission to jump in and take it to the next level. Great. And beyond EV financing, what else are you excited about right now? Yeah, so we cover basically all of environmental sustainability. We cover energy, food, water, waste, and transportation. We have also invested in EV charging. So we've got a company in that space. Maybe that'll end up being a collaborator with Spring Free down the road along the ways that Tony was describing. But we're also invested into waste to value, really circular economy stuff. We are invested in a distributed wastewater treatment platform that wasn't just a made-up example. We're invested in indoor agriculture. We spend a lot of time looking at things like microgrids, really solar plus storage. That's an area I think is particularly exciting right now, aside from EVs. For instance, it's still attached to EVs, because if you think about all those places where we're going to need to put chargers where the grid may not be capable, what better way to do that than to augment it with solar plus storage? And also, if you think about the rising risk of climate-related disasters and the business disruptions that we've already seen around that all over the country, we're increasingly seeing businesses clamor for reliable uptime in the form of on-site solar plus storage. So that's a pretty exciting place. And then we also get into the demand side of it, too. So one of the things that you wouldn't think is necessarily within our scope, but we're pretty proud of is a company called Saluna Computing, which is basically trying to help utility scale wind and solar farms by placing flexible load right there on site in the form of flexible data centers. And it's a unique design for doing computing. But when you can do that, then all of this talk in places like Texas and the like, where everybody's all up in arms about the, quote, intermittent renewables, just throw that all out the window, because now you can provide a very firm demand right there, but flexible as needed to provide a firm resource net net of that back into the grid and thereby enable a lot more solar and wind farms. So we're really covering a lot of areas like that, but you can tell it's everything from things as prosaic as composting through data centers and electric vehicles. Thank you, Rob. I, for one, am really glad that you were able to stick it out and that you are still an investor in climate. So Me too. Supporting yeah. <laughs> Focusing on a lot of important companies. So thanks for sharing. Tenny, let's close out with you and what else you're seeing and hoping to see beyond financing for fleet owners to truly accelerate EV adoption. What else do you think needs to happen? I think truly accelerating EV adoption requires a multifaceted approach. From many conversations with our fleet managers, fleet customers, we've heard that the primary motivation behind today's consumers turning to alternative programs like short-term rentals or subscriptions for EVs really includes the desire to try, just to try it before they commit to a purchase. And that whole try-before-you-buy approach appeals to many people because it just allows them to experience the benefits of driving an EV. And it helps them better understand the technology, the range, the charging, and alleviate any potential uncertainties they might have. Flexibility is also a significant factor. So again, the short-term rentals, for example, really enable consumers to switch between different EV models or revert to, in some cases, traditional gas vehicle if an EV doesn't suit their need. So again, we're focused today on lower upfront costs because we believe that lowers the barriers to entry for both fleet operators, but eventually consumers as well who might otherwise just be deterred by that high initial cost. But we're also seeing the need for raising awareness about the benefits of EVs, dispelling really what is just common misconceptions. So educating both fleet managers and consumers about lower operating costs, environmental advantages, advancements that continue in both battery and the EV technology, 
can also help overcome some of that resistance or skepticism. And then really just like these talks, collaborating with industry experts, people out there in the media, environmental organizations, really just to put out accurate information and showcase these success stories can, I think, drive interest and confidence in the EVs. And then we've already talked about charging infrastructure. That needs to continue. Supportive policies. We also want to make sure we continue to collaborate with auto manufacturers and integrating these EVs with with renewable energy and smart grid technologies. And so I think if we're able to address all of these different aspects collectively, we can drive widespread adoptions of EVs. Governments are also playing a crucial role in implementing these policies and incentives, the financial incentives such as tax credits or rebates and grants. And these policies really help promote the installation of EV charging infrastructure, but also really prioritize the EV adoption in both public transportation, government fleets, commercial fleets, and consumer vehicles. These honest collaborations, conversations, discussions, and really putting that out there, I think those are all really crucial and working together to develop more affordable and diverse EV models. Those are just some of the things, but I think those are some of the basic building blocks that are needed, but we're already seeing it happening today. Let's just get those stories out. Tenny, Rob, thank you so much for your time today. Best of luck with all the important work that you're doing. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Invested in Climate. Please remember to rate us on Apple, Spotify, or Google. Find show notes, sign up for updates, get in touch, and visualize your climate action at investedinclimate.com. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial, accounting, or legal advice. Thanks again.